Hello there, and welcome to the 38th episode of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. So on this week's episode, I'm going to be discussing the insane 48-hour sequence that occurred last week involving the Blue Jays and talk about what this means for the team moving forward and how they can attempt to round out the rest of their roster. So let's get into it. All right, so for the better part of the offseason, we heard numerous rumors involving every single player, every single notable player that the Blue Jays were interested in and that they had interest in making their team better and bringing in a big name player. And for months we heard that. And probably got a little tone deaf, maybe, if you want to use that description of it, um, as we headed into the new year, but let's just say it was definitely worth the wait, because last week in Blue Jays land was one of the craziest occurrences in franchise history, because not only did the Blue Jays land George Springer, but they also made a couple of other moves literally within 48 hours of landing Springer. And it's crazy because this offseason started with the Blue Jays signing Robbie Ray to a one-year deal. That happened way back in November. Then we go through the rest of the November. We don't really get any news, just rumors. And then we go into December. And still, nothing really to report regarding the Blue Jays. And then we turn the calendar to 2021. On January 12th, the Blue Jays make it official that they've re-signed AJ Cole, which is a solid move. A.J. Cole was a good reliever for the Blue Jays last year. Faltered toward the end of the season, but it's a nice signing, a nice get for their bullpen. And then we wait a few more days. Blue Jays make a number of international signings, which is great to see, deep in the farm system. And then we get the news that they've signed Tyler Chatwood. Not the name we were all looking to see, But a decent pickup. You know, he's a guy that could either factor into the rotation or could help out in the bullpen as well. He's got good stuff, really good spin on his pitches. So it's a nice add. And then we get the news that the Blue Jays have signed Kirby Yates. And this didn't come that much farther after they signed Chatwood. And for Yates, That's a huge get because the Blue Jays needed a high leverage reliever and that's exactly what Kirby Yates is. And even though he's coming off elbow surgery, he had bone spurs removed from his elbow back in the summer, he's been considered as one of the best relievers in the game over the last couple of seasons. So even though he was awful in 2020, couldn't stay healthy, had an ERA over 12, a FIP over five, His two pitches 
his fastball and his splitter. They didn't exactly get affected movement-wise or velocity-wise regarding his elbow issues. So with Kirby Yates coming back healthy in 2021, there's a very strong chance that he'll be able to replicate the results he produced in 18 and 19 when he got that recognition of being one of the best closers in the game where he put up a 214 ERA in 18, a 119 ERA in 2019, also had a 130 FIP, a 225 expected FIP in that same season in 2019, also had a career high 41.6% strikeout rate and a 5.3% walk rate. So if that's the guy that shows up on the mound for the Blue Jays in 2021, this could be a huge steal for them. And especially because they got him for significantly less than what, say, somebody like Liam Hendricks just signed for. Now, not the same pitcher, different ages, I get that. But when healthy, they're both two of the top pitchers in their department. So getting Kirby Yates at a base salary of five and a half million is huge. His deal is loaded with incentives. Like, if he hits both of them, his salary will escalate up to $10 million. But here's the thing. The first incentive in his deal gives him $3 million if he hits at least 35 appearances. Which, again, if he's healthy, he'll probably hit that. But... That only brings his deal up to $8.5 million. If he reaches 70 appearances, that's when his deal could hit $10 million. But here's the thing. Kirby Yates has never made 70 appearances in his career before. Never. Not in 2018 when he had 65 appearances. And not in 2019 when he had 60. So if he reaches that mark, he'll earn it. Because he's not going to pitch... He's not going to go out on the mound 70 times and be bad. That's just not going to happen. So, even if the Blue Jays end up paying Kirby Yates $10 million this season, he will absolutely be worth every single penny because you'll be getting around a two-year A or even lower than that, and he'll be racking up a ton of saves and a ton of strikeouts for you. And also, you got to factor in as well. You have a guy named Jordan Romano, who's also coming off an injury, who looks to be the future closer of this team. I said this in my last episode, and it's what better way than to give Romano help to push him along into that ascent where he becomes the next closer of the team, then allowing him to pick the brain of somebody like Kirby Yates who again has been one of the best closers of the last couple of seasons he's a veteran guy turned 33 years old uh, he's going to turn 34 uh, in a couple months but still even being in his mid 30s Kirby Yates still got a lot left to give in this game especially if he's healthy so along with giving the Blue Jays really good results 
next season, which I think if he stays healthy, he'll be able to do. He can also mentor Romano and help him move even closer to where we all think he can be and where we all need him to be because I hate the idea of going out and getting a guy like Liam Hendricks where you have to spend a record-breaking contract to become your next closer. I don't think that's a smart business model. Relievers just don't last. That's the way it is. Even if they're high-end guys, you know, they're good for two, three, maybe four seasons, unless you're Josh Hader. But even him, he struggled a bit because he's been overused. So I like this deal a lot for the Blue Jays. I think Kirby Yates can help them a lot next season. And again, I really, really hope he and Romano can create some chemistry together and create a good relationship. And there's no question, if spring training goes off without a hitch and it doesn't get interrupted, there's a good chance that can happen. So we'll see what, what that, that develops into moving forward. Now, after Kirby Yates, the Blue Jays made arguably one of the biggest signings this offseason and bringing in George Springer on a six-year, $150 million deal, which is the biggest contract the Blue Jays organization has ever given out to a player. Shattering Vernon Wells' prior deal, which for me as a Vernon Wells guy, when I play baseball, I wear number 10 because of Vernon Wells. It's, I wouldn't say it's sad because obviously you're happy to get George Springer, but you know, it's just, it's something that gets you a little bit. But anyway, back to Springer. This was a huge gift for the Blue Jays because as we all know, center field is a, was a major hole for them over the last numerous seasons. Like you could even say it was a hole for them even when Kevin Pillar was here. Because even though he made acrobatic moves in center field, his overall results were actually pretty bad. So they've needed a guy like George Springer for a long time. And not even the defensive side of his game, but what he can bring at the plate and in the clubhouse, because he's a veteran guy, he's been to the playoffs many times, he's won before, even though it was the year they cheated, still, he's won a championship before. The Blue Jays needed a guy exactly the type of Springer. And even though they had to go that extra year to get him, because the Mets were holding at five years, around $125 million, I'm okay with them going the extra year, because George Springer's worth it. You know, even though he's 31, he'll turn 32 next September. Having him through the back half, back half of his career, I still think the Blue Jays can prosper off that. Especially because they front-loaded his deal. You know, not a lot of people are talking about that enough. And it's really interesting how they structured his deal because they're paying him $22 million this season, but they're paying him $28 million in 2022. And obviously it makes sense to do it that way because 
none of the Blue Jays' younger players like Vladdy, Bo, Cavan, even Lurdes is on a team-friendly deal, Teoscar as well, none of them are really going to start making serious money until 2023. So to front load Springer's deal so you get the big part of his salary in 2022, it's a, a, a huge win for the Blue Jays because they can continue adding throughout 2022, 2023, four, and, and, and onward. So, but back to why 28 million in 2022 is interesting is because Major League Baseball's collective bargaining agreement is set to expire after next season. And we all know the history the owners and the players union have. It's not good, it's very toxic. We're seeing that now where the owners are trying to use the universal DH as leverage to get the players to buy into expanded playoffs, which should happen on both sides. There should be a universal DH. There should be expanded playoffs, but it shouldn't be a negotiating tactic from the owners, especially because it's not a fair trade to give the players a universal DH, but in turn, give the owners a lot more money with expanded playoffs. So unless the owners are willing to give the players a bigger portion of the playoff pool money, I don't see that working as a trade. Still, um, if they don't figure out a deal before the deadline or even judgment day, if you want to go that way uh, next season, then there may not be a 2022 campaign. And if that happens, the players don't get paid. And that means the biggest owing to Springer will uh, not be $28 million. They'll, they won't have to pay him at all. So that's basically taking $28 million off the books completely. Which is just interesting that Springer would agree to structure it that way. You know, he, he must have a bit of confidence, or not even a bit, but a, a good amount, that there is going to be a season in 2022, and that uh, he'll, he'll get his money, because, you know, $28 million is, is no chump change. That's, that's a lot of money, especially for professional athletes. So, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But uh, for Springer, I mean, he brings so much to this team offensively and defensively you know he's not the greatest defensive center fielder there is you know he produced a 3 OAA in center field in 2019 just a 1 OAA this past season even though it was limited results so he's not going to give you elite defense in center field he's going to be above average he's not going to hurt you like somebody like Teoscar Hernandez would and he'll probably be a little bit better than what Randall Gritchick would be in center field. But uh, there's no question they'll have to DH Springer a little bit and give Jonathan Davis probably some reps in center field next season at some point. But uh, he'll still be productive with the glove. And we all know what he can do at the plate. We, we saw it in the postseason this past uh, fall when he basically single-handedly carried the Astros 
throughout the playoffs and almost brought them back and, and, and beat the Rays in the ALCS. So adding a bat like his to the Blue Jays lineup, regardless of where he hits, because for me, I love having Cabin Biggio at the top of the lineup. I know how many career leadoff home runs George Springer has, but could you imagine having somebody like Biggio get on base consistently in front of Springer and him being able to maintain his ability to crush and ambush pitchers in the early stages of games? Like it, the Blue Jays would be not unstoppable, but they would be so far ahead of where they were last year, where at times they struggled to get a good uh, number of runs across the plate. But can you imagine if the Blue Jays are the away team, let's say, and we're in the first inning, and you got Cabin Biggio leading off, George Springer in the two-hole, Bo Bichette batting third, and, you know, Hernandez or Guerrero or Gurriel Jr., if he's still around, in the cleanup spot, and you have Biggio get on with a walk or a hit, whatever way he gets on. And then you have George Springer smack a two-run home run. And the Blue Jays are up 2-0. And only two batters have come to the plate. Still got to face Bichette. Still got to face Teoscar, Guerrero, uh, Gurriel Jr., Telez. Like, the lineup's just so deep now. And the Blue Jays could still add another bat. So I really hope the Blue Jays have Biggio leading off and, and Springer second. But whatever way you draw it up, the Blue Jays lineup is much, much deeper with George Springer in the lineup. And like I said, the Blue Jays can still add another bat. And they almost did. Because literally like hours after the Springer signing was made official. Not official official from the team, but confirmed from reporters. Um, another report came out that they were interested in Michael Brantley, Springer's teammate. And some people, not me, but some people were reporting that it was already a done deal. And that fell apart. Brantley ended up going back to the Astros on a two-year, $32 million deal. But if Brantley were to come to Toronto, it would have made some very interesting headlines and, and, and outcomes. Because Brantley's a guy who would add a left-handed hitter to the Blue Jays lineup, which they desperately need. And he's also a guy who doesn't strike out a lot very good contact hitter, can spray the ball to all parts of the field. The only downside of him is that he's not going to play much in the field anymore. At this stage of his career, he's going to DH a lot, being 33, set to turn 34 next season. Um, so I kind of like not signing him to $16 million per season if he's really going to play a lot at DH. Um, you know... I know there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not the Blue Jays are better with Gurriel Jr. in their lineup or not, but I think defensively they are. Even though Gurriel Jr. has had his struggles in left field, I think because Brantley, you know, let's say the, 
2021 season has played over 162 games. I would think Michael Brantley would probably have to play the majority of that at the DH spot. So, you know, sure, the Blue Jays could put Gritchick in left and have Springer in center and Hernandez in right, but are you better defensively that way? Maybe, maybe not. So, you know, they, they could definitely circle back to something. You know, maybe they sign Marcelo Zuna, even though he's not great defensively either. But maybe they they do that because his, they like his bat more than they do Gurriel Jr. So maybe they sign Ozuna and trade Lurdes for some pitching. I could see that happening. Especially if, if, if they ended up signing Brantley, that's definitely a route they would have taken. Like, there's, there's no way... The Blue Jays would have brought in Brantley and kept Gurriel Jr. on the roster too. It just wouldn't have worked. There would have been too many cooks in the kitchen. So there's no question the Blue Jays are at least searching uh, for pitching and using Gurriel Jr. as probably their top trading chip. Uh, Whether that happens or not, we'll see because... If the Blue Jays do end up trading Gurriel Jr., that means Gritchick is probably your everyday left fielder. And then you have Hernandez as your everyday right fielder, which may not do the Blue Jays any justice defensively, especially because Randall Gritchick is a much better right fielder than he is a left fielder. His uh, career stats defensively and right field are much better than they are in left field, but he's still going to give you above average defense wherever he plays. Still on an overpriced contract, which is probably why he's not the guy who's going to get traded for pitching if the Blue Jays do end up trading an outfielder to get a frontline starter. But again, like I said, they have so many options available to them trade-wise because... There was a a report that came out on Monday saying that the Blue Jays are one of the front runners to go get Chris Bryant and potentially Kyle Hendricks from the Chicago Cubs. And that's not the first time we've heard that this offseason. That's been rumored numerous times throughout the winter. And rightly so, because it's it's a great fit for the Blue Jays. Even though Chris Bryant's coming off a bad year in 2020, and it could definitely be uh, credited to the lack of in-game video, which probably isn't coming back anytime soon, so who knows what Chris Bryant will be like offensively in 2021. But if the Blue Jays can get Chris Bryant and Kyle Hendricks, that's a trade they definitely have to make. Because I, I'm leaning toward not wanting Trevor Bauer to come to Toronto. I've been back and forth about this throughout the offseason. But he comes with so much damn baggage. You know, like, there's no questioning the results he produced last season. I mean, yeah, sure, you can bring up the whole substance, illegal substance, claims and and there could be something there like don't get me wrong I'm not dismissing that but um, 
it, it is a little questionable that his spin rate just jumped, jumped dramatically from season to season. And then all these claims have come out about notable pitchers using illegal substances. And you'd hate to sign him to a long-term deal and then have that come up and then him not perform the same as he did in last season. So there's that. There's the whole part about him being a douchebag and, uh, you know, him potentially being a uh, distraction to the clubhouse. And then you also have the fact that he's not the greatest person on social media. You know, he's a troll and he doesn't really do anything to stop his followers from attacking reporters. And uh, it's probably not the type of guy the Blue Jays want to bring into their organization, considering they value chemistry and personality and all that they have for a while. So I'm thinking it's, it would probably be a smart idea to stay away from Trevor Bauer. And it's not like they don't have other options in free agency either, because they could absolutely bring back somebody like Taiwan Walker, who they already have a prior history with. They know him, they know his stuff, and he knows their coaching staff. Uh, he knows Pete Walker very well already. So they could definitely bring him back, even though he's got other suitors. But they could also bring in somebody like Jacob Rizzi, who they've been interested in for the last couple of off-seasons. They tried to get him last year before he accepted the qualifying offer with Minnesota. Uh, you could also bring in a guy like James Paxton, who's a Canadian, would be a great fit for the fan base, no doubt. Um, but his concerns with his velocity regarding his fastball are probably pushing the Blue Jays away a little bit just because if they're going to sign a frontline guy, they need to be able to rely on him that he's actually going to play up to his expectations. And considering James Paxton struggled mightily with his fastball last year, I don't necessarily think he's the guy you want to give that big contract to and, and, and put those expectations on. But... You also have your options in the trade market as well, because along with the Chicago Cubs, you could also continue to pick apart the NL Central and go after the Cincinnati Reds pitching staff because Sonny Gray is currently available. Not really the type of frontline resume you want to get for a number two on a contending team. But Sonny Gray has improved his results over the last couple of seasons. He bought into the whole spin rate stuff, playing with Trevor Bauer. Who knows if that can also be attributed to foreign or illegal substances. Um, but the Reds are willing to move him. And if the Blue Jays can eat his contract, which we all know they can, it may not cost them very much to pry him away from the Cincinnati Reds. And also... If you can go get a guy like Eugenio Suarez, who's a third baseman, not great defensively, um, but he can slug it. If you can go get him as well and also take on his contract, again, you probably only have to give up, you know, a few prospects, not maybe one guy in your top 30, definitely not top 15, 
Um, but yeah, you could definitely take that route. Or, now this would be a little bit more complicated to make, but if the Blue Jays could try and pry Luis Castile away from the Cincinnati Reds, that would be a major, major move for them. Because throughout this offseason, Cincinnati's general manager has said multiple times that Castile is not available. They want him. He's part of their future moving forward. But we all know everyone has a price, right? If the Blue Jays make the Reds an offer they can't refuse, they'll probably take it. But considering they're pretty stocked in outfielders, sending him a package headlined by Gurriel Jr. may not get it done, even though he's on a very team-friendly contract and he's a good hitter. He's questionably defensively, but still, the low cost, the uh, good results at the plate, he's definitely a, uh, a valuable trade chip but I just don't know how much he fits with Cincinnati's plan moving forward which means the Blue Jays would have to center their offer towards their catcher prospects catching prospects which they have a lot of and they probably have to trade one or two of them this offseason because they have so many catchers currently on their 40-man roster it just doesn't make sense to continue that route like as of right now along with having Danny Jansen Reese McGuire Alejandro Kirk the Blue Jays also have Riley Adams and Gabrielle Mornero I hope I didn't butcher that uh probably did uh they also have both of them on their 40-man roster as well so having five catchers on your 40 isn't a smart route to take so if the Blue Jays do make a trade for frontline starter this offseason, which I definitely think will happen, um, they're going to move one of their catchers. Probably won't be Kirk, but if they have to include somebody like Kirk to get a deal done to get Luis Castile, they may have to take that route. Now, if we go back to the Chicago Cubs, they already have a really good catcher in Miguel Amaya. So, and he's he's very close to making his major league debut. He probably will do it next season. So, I don't think they would trade somebody like Kirk to get a package of Brian in Hendricks. But I think they could include somebody like Riley Adams, who's a, a decent defensive catcher. Send him along with a package of you know, prospects and maybe Gurriel Jr., maybe. I don't know if that would interest the Cubs or not because they're really hitting the reset button and it doesn't exactly make sense to bring on somebody like Gurriel Jr. if you're hitting that reset button. So we'll see if that turns into anything. But um, I don't think the Blue Jays could afford to open next season the way their roster is currently constructed I just don't think it's it's going to position them in a great spot to overtake the Tampa Bay Rays or even compete against the Yankees for the division title because here's the thing 
as currently constructed, the Blue Jays are probably finishing second, I want to say, in the division. You know, if, if things go well, I think they can get there. You know, no doubt the Rays are going to be a good team again next year, even though they traded away Blake Snell. They'll probably trade Kevin Kiermaier before the season as well. So they're going to be, they're going to take a step backward in 2021 and probably 2022, but they're still going to be competitive, which means the Blue Jays can't take them lightly and they still have to continue adding. Because if the Blue Jays add somebody like Castile or Hendricks and Bryant even, to their team, they can absolutely compete against the Yankees for the division. They have to stay healthy. Guys have to perform up to their expectations. But they'll be in the running. And especially if there's expanded playoffs again next season. Even if the Blue Jays finish second, they could still be in a great spot to endure a long playoff run. Now, we don't know what the playoff picture is going to look like next season. Uh, Again, the the league and and the players' union still have to discuss all the terms of that, how many teams you would have. My personal opinion is you probably should have seven playoff teams, give the the top teams in each league a first-round bye, and then you have your division winners, and then you have your second place teams. And then in the first round, you know, you have either a best three out of five, or you could do best two out of three, whatever way you want to do it. I just think seven teams is probably the best way to go moving forward. And it'd be a lot of fun, but we'll have to see if the owners can, uh, can figure out a deal with the players union, which is no small task at all, as we all know. That does it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed my uh, breakdown of the last 48 hours involving the Blue Jays. And uh, hopefully all of you are are a little bit more uh, intrigued by what's next for this team. But until next time, I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and now you're up to date. And remember, please wear a mask, please wear it properly. Thanks for listening.